Each week, Richard and Father Mark present a rigorous discussion of the Bible in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. Over 24,000 episodes are downloaded each month at no charge. Please consider marking your level of support with a one-time donation or by pledging a small amount per episode. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. We've all heard it. On every corner, in every school, at every church, there is always somebody spouting platitudes about the dangers of taking the Bible literally. This is usually the same person who explains that religion is the cause of all wars, conveniently ignoring the bloodshed of the last century committed in the name of consumerism and liberal values. Anyways, if only fundamentalists did take the Bible literally, if you actually read what is written on the page without proof texting, there is no way to end up a fundamentalist. No way. Unless, of course, you have problems with reading comprehension or are not aware of historical context. Richard and I discuss Mark chapter 3 verses 1 to 6. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 149 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Law is a really interesting proposition. This idea that a text would govern, not human beings. That you would have a text that would hold all accountable to a certain way of behaving that facilitates the common good. You look at traditional Jewish literature, like the Midrash, like the Talmud, and they're all debates. They're looking at different laws and how do we work out these laws in a very practical way. It's supposed to train you to not blindly follow a set of rules, but to understand as you perform these rules what the ultimate goal is for these rules. What are they actually supposed to be producing rather than simple obedience? Of course, obedience is important, but when we have obedience without a deeper understanding of why they exist, you end up with self-righteousness. When Caesar can stand in the court and make the case about the importance of marriage, family, tribe, and honor, but then can turn around and take anyone's wife for himself and still be considered legal or kosher law-abiding law-abiding righteous it raises questions about what the law means was the law given to protect the common good and the social order so that people could live together or was the law given to make it so that caesar could appear to be righteous before his court but do whatever he wanted to do that's the question that jesus is throwing back in the face of the scribes and the pharisees and mark They want to challenge Jesus on the law, but each time they are exposed as people who are interested in using the law to serve their purpose, not its purpose. The purpose of the Torah is to serve not just the common good, but specifically to compel those who have to serve those who have not, whether that be money or food or resources. 
Scripture commands us always to take care of the needy neighbor, measured by the weakest link, the widow, the orphan, the downtrodden, the foreigner. For example, in the United States, we have blue laws. You can't sell alcohol on Sundays. The reason why these laws came about is because people said, you know, on the Lord's Day, we want to be focused on the most important things. And if we're drinking, then we're going to lose our focus. Now, 150 years later, here in Minnesota, there's a debate of the economic reasons of what happens when you have liquor stores close on Sunday. The whole point of the law was lost. And now we're talking about economics and whether liquor stores next to a grocery store can be open or closed, completely devoid of the original context, which is about keeping our mind on what's most important. And so once you lose that, then you have a weird discussion and you look at the liquor store in the strip mall, and it's the only store that's closed in the entire strip mall. It seems strange because we don't have that context. And all of these laws were set because there was an idea of how do we make society better? What is the ideal image of what our society should be? Now, where scripture differs from that paradigm that you just described, Richard, where it differs is in the way that it assigns righteousness and unrighteousness. Everyone who hears scripture is under judgment. Everyone who hears scripture is exposed as unrighteous. It's not like Roman law where you say, this is a good citizen and this is a person who is either a bad citizen or not a citizen. It's not like Greek philosophy where Plato says, this is a good citizen, this is a good man. This is the way a man should be. Scripture doesn't operate in those categories. Scripture begins with the premise that there is no one who is righteous, no, not one. And the only one who is righteous is God. But God, in his mighty righteousness, still hands down a law to govern behavior. And you have to follow that law even though you are consigned to unrighteousness. So scripture still prescribes the correct behavior, but does not let anyone take glory from that behavior. It is such an important concept. And even now, Christians talk like Romans and Greeks. They don't talk like disciples of the Bible. They still talk as though we are right, and the people who disagree with us are wrong, and we have to make them think like us and be like us so that they can be right just like we're right. But this way of thinking is thoroughly and completely pagan and divorced from God's teaching. He entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. So Jesus is on the move. He is carrying the scroll of the Torah, the word of his father, and he is going into the synagogue once again to bring good news to the poor and the downtrodden, which is what is prescribed in the Old Testament. Remember, the litmus test in the Torah is how you treat those who are ill, those who are orphaned, those who are widowed, those who are aliens and foreigners in your land because you yourself were once an alien and a foreigner in the land of Egypt. And we don't want to lose focus on what the importance is here because it's very easy for the crowds to think that Jesus showed up so that he can heal people. Jesus does not show up so he can heal people. Jesus shows up so that he can preach and so he can teach and along the way he may heal people. Insofar as he is healing people, it is in fulfillment of his father's instruction. 
we have to make sure we stay on that focus because we can see how the crowds keep getting distracted from that focus. Mark is the great bar mitzvah and Jesus is the son of the commandment. So if he heals the man with a withered hand, it's because it's the commandment of the will of his father. That's how you have to understand it. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. That's the setup. You have the teachers of the Torah debasing the Torah and handling it the way a pagan lawyer handles Roman law. Did I commit the crime? Did I not commit the crime? Is he guilty? Can we find a technicality to expose him? Can we find a technicality to get me off the hook? Everybody is sickened by this way of practicing law, but we understand that this is how secular law works, but this isn't how God's law works. There's no technicality or not technicality. The only technicality is that no matter how hard you try, in God's court, everyone is unrighteous. Their very reasoning proves that they believe that they are clean according to the law. And this is the fundamental sin that Jesus is going to take head on. In a way, they're doing things correctly, but it's corrupt. Okay, this guy who claims to be teaching Torah, let's see if his actions actually match his words, right? You judge a tree by its fruit. Jesus didn't come up with that. So if Jesus is going to act in a different way, what he has to do is he has to show logically that he is showing the correct fruits. Anyone's going to be judged on their actions, but against what law will the actions be judged? That's what has to be debated, and that's what has to be figured out, and this is what Jesus came to teach, to make sure that if they're going to judge the actions, it has to be according to the correct law, which it seems that they don't understand. He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silence. This is the second time Jesus has posed this type of question in Mark. Before he asked the scribes and the Pharisees, look, which is easier for me to teach or for me to do the miracle? Now he's posing a second question in the same spirit. Which should I do? What does the law prescribe? To be technically correct, according to the law, to save my own skin? Or to act according to the law to save a life? I mean, it's a setup. It's obvious that the scribes and the Pharisees here are being presented as the hypocrites. Right. It's significant that we have the second challenge on the Sabbath. The first challenge was, is it okay for the disciples to pick grain and eat it. And last time we talked about how it was okay because this is what's allowing them to go and continue to teach. Here, it's somebody who is suffering. Does your law allow that someone can perform a function that heals somebody, that helps somebody? Is that incompatible with what you think is the law? Or is it compatible with what you think is the law? Because if it's incompatible with what you think is the law, then your law is wrong. Because the whole reason why the Sabbath exists is to remind us of Torah, remind us of the work that God did that led up to it, so that we can actually perform good and help those who are suffering. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Now he's grieving at the hardness of their heart, 
because he knows why they keep silent. They keep silent in the previous verse the way a bunch of sniveling nobility keeps silent when they're waiting for the king to screw up so they can eat his lunch. They're just trying to throw Jesus under the bus, and it's the kind of wicked patience that contrasts with the divine impatience of God in Mark. The wicked will sit back and wait for their opportunity to lay a trap, just like it talks in the Psalter. Jesus is not even thinking about whether he's walking into the trap. He is just plowing ahead with purity of heart in that spirit. The pure heart is the one that is true like a soldier's heart that marches forward. Hardness of heart doesn't mean they're mean. It doesn't mean cold-hearted. The heart is not the center of emotion. Heart is the center of reason. And whenever God accuses the Israelites of being hard of heart, it's because they won't listen to and follow Torah. So he's not grieved that they're mean to the guy with the withered hand. He's grieved because they don't think about Torah. They have corrupted what Sabbath is by following these other laws rather than the basic understanding of Sabbath, which is that it is the time to bring forth the teaching. Sabbath is to continue the teaching. That's why you go to the synagogue and you study and you learn. Whatever you're doing the other six days, that day you go to synagogue and you read and you learn because that is the culmination of the week. It's the hardness of their heart, as you said, their resistance to wisdom. But it's more than that because it's the fruit of that resistance. Again, as you said earlier, they are stubborn. They don't want to open their minds to what Jesus is teaching, what God is teaching on the Sabbath. And because of that, they are scheming against the one who is bringing them the bread of life. So it's a double whammy. It's like when people today use the Bible to justify violence. As teachers, we're sad on two counts. First, because they're reading the Bible with blindfolds on, as Paul says. But second, because they're taking a teaching that we hold dear and we've committed our lives to and they're using it to do the exact opposite of what the teaching we care about says it's the double hit so it's a scandal i mean these are the educated the elite of the religious community but they're proof texters and they read stuff out of context they don't want to read sabbath in the context of the prophets they want to take a couple verses about Sabbath and make with it what they want. They become self-righteous, and sure enough, as soon as they're self-righteous, they then trod the poor underfoot. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. So Jesus fulfilled the commandment of the Lord and ministered to the weaker brother in fulfillment of the word of the Sabbath, which is to do the righteousness of God. And the leaders of the people of Israel went out the way Roman nobility in their corrupt and backwards court would go out and started scheming with the political power in the region, who happens to be a giant Uncle Tom, King Herod. They start conspiring with Herod about how to throw the true king of Israel under the bus. And the Pharisees have a very difficult time confronting Jesus. The first time they were thinking in their hearts and Jesus confronted them. The second time they approached the disciples 
They wouldn't talk to Jesus. And here again, Jesus has to be the one to say, what do you think? And they won't answer him. They won't talk to him. For some reason, the Pharisees refuse to speak with Jesus so far. We're in chapter 3 now. But why is it that they will not confront him? It's because they will neither listen to him nor actually talk Torah with him because they know he knows what he's talking about and they don't. They're afraid to actually bring it up. Because they are not sons of the commandment. People misread these texts. They see the corruption of the scribes and the Pharisees and they say, oh, well, that's because the Old Testament, they're taking it literally, Father Mark. No! It's because they are sons of Herod and sons of Caesar. Jesus is taking Torah literally. I don't want people to misunderstand this. People think that the problem is whether you need to understand the spirit of the law or the letter of the law. Jesus is following the letter of the law. When he is grieved at the hardness of heart, he is talking like a prophet, which is the letter of the law. He is acting just like the law prescribes how you're supposed to act. He is doing everything according to the letter and the spirit because it's only by the Spirit one can actually act according to the Word. The problem with the Pharisees is they aren't acting by the letter of the Word. This is the problem. People say fundamentalists are people who cleave very closely to a literal reading of Scripture. It is not true. Fundamentalists are not true to the letter of Scripture because if they were true to the letter of Scripture, they would not be happy with this chapter of Exodus that talks about the Ten Commandments. They would also be interested in the chapter in Isaiah that talks about the Gentile who's brought in against everyone else's good judgment. This is the problem. They're not true to the letter of the law. They're true to a few letters of the law here and a few letters of the law there, but they don't read the whole thing. They don't follow the whole thing. So Jesus is literal. Jesus does follow the Torah literally. The secularists and the fundamentalists accuse each other in the public square, but they are cut from the same cloth like Mars and Venus. The secularists and the fundamentalists are both illiterate of wisdom. Secularism presents consumerism in the clothing of wisdom, which is what the Romans did, it's what the Greeks did, it's what we're doing, and in a way we're even better at it than they were, and we're headed to a scarier place than they were. But we parade it as though it's civil rights and morality and justice for all. And the fundamentalists are ignorant of scripture, but try combating the secularists by hitting them over the head with Jesus, the way Moses threw the Torah at the people in Exodus. It doesn't work. Nobody's actually studying wisdom. Nobody is submitting. Because the only way to solve the debate in the public square is if everybody realizes they're wrong. But that's not what we see happening right now in our culture. Look, we're not Jesus. Everyone is a proof texter. Once we admit that we're a proof texter and we follow this tiny piece of scripture or that tiny piece of scripture, each of us has to be responsible to the fact that we are not following scripture altogether. So we invite you, the listeners, to continue to listen to this because we are trying to teach, we are trying to challenge your narrow view of Scripture as we go through the text to challenge our understanding of Scripture. We're going chapter by chapter so that not just you, but we can get a complete understanding of Scripture because we are combating our own disposition to want to follow this or that. 
And by continually working through scripture, then we have a chance of actually following what it prescribes. So before you criticize a liberal, or before you criticize a conservative, or before you say that you think the other side are stupid, or ignorant, or deplorable, or racist, or arrogant, which is all the mud that people sling back and forth, or immoral, or corrupt, or whatever, or they don't work hard enough, or they're not law-abiding citizens like us, all this nonsense. The way people talk today about poor people from Mexico is a disgrace. It's an embarrassment. Just stop it and hear the word of the Lord and hear of your unrighteousness and repent and submit to the foreigner. Be grieved for your hardness of heart. Be grieved. Have a great week, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. Take care. Just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.